Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, the sermon I prepared uh, has kind of gone out the window, honestly. Um, I'm still going to I'm still going to the same text. We're still going to talk about Romans 4. Um, If you have not been here for this series that started uh, four weeks ago, I would just really encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons. Uh, Super important stuff. Romans uh, 1 through 8 is the heart of the gospel. The writer Paul, who was a a Jewish Pharisee, hated Gentiles, hated, hated Christians because he thought that they were heretics following a, a false messiah. Uh, got met Jesus on on the uh, the road to Ama- uh, to, to uh, Damascus to to arrest a bunch of Christians, the Jewish converts, and uh, Jesus uh, appeared to him, and his life changed at that point. And Jesus ironically called him to be not only a Christian, but to go to Gentiles and take the gospel. These hated dogs that. That's what, that's what Jews knew Gentiles as, as, as the goyim, the dogs. They were, they were less than human. And now this, this Jew of Jews, this Pharisee, is called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so the church in Rome is this weird combination of Jews and Jewish converts and Gentiles. And they're trying to figure out how to do life together and how to be a church together. And um, the Jewish believers are kind of snobbish. They're kind of looking down on their noses, down their noses at these, these Gentile converts because the Jews were the chosen people of God, and they had the law, and uh, they, they, they had circumcision that we'll talk about a little bit here in a moment, uh, and, and they were the chosen people of God. And so uh, they, they were very... Uh, they were, they, were, they were very judgmental of their Gentile brothers and sisters. And, uh, and so Paul is writing to this church, I think primarily in presenting the gospel, to try to help them understand that Jews and Gentiles are in the same boat before God, before they come to Christ. And that true righteousness is not based on keeping the law, Jewish people, Jewish converts, See, the, the Jews, the Jews were, that were embracing Jesus as Messiah were trying to hold on to their Judaism, to their religion, as they embraced this, this new gospel. And they were, they were really, I mean, this was a process for them of letting go of the law and embracing grace and righteousness through faith in Christ. And so they, they're in this weird kind of transition, and it's not, all, it's not making sense to them. A lot of it is not making, I mean, we look back over 2,000 years of history. We get it. We understand it. We have all the New Testament scriptures. We have Paul talking about stop doing circumcision. You know, the, the new outward sign of the relationship with God is baptism. Baptism replaced circumcision. And, and we all get baptized, not just the males. You know, we all get baptized. But Paul has pointed out in these first three chapters, first of all, he said, I want to present to you the good news of the gospel about a righteousness that has come from God and is based on faith, not on law. And, and he's really trying to hammer that home with these Jewish believers. 
So he's like, get off the Gentiles' backs, man. They're, they, they, they never had the law, but the law doesn't do anything for you. And, and in fact, the law just shows how bad sin is. So I, I want to pick up in, uh, in, in Romans 3.20 and just, and just read a few verses here as we set up to go into Romans 4, because that's my, my text for this morning is Romans 4. And let me just pray for us. Father, uh, in the next 25 minutes, I, I really want to deliver what you want me to say. God, let, let this be really, really clear. And God, I pray that it will be life transforming. I pray that it, it will be something that, that we'll never get away from, that we'll never forget. Lord, I can't make this new. But Lord, you're, you make all things new. Even scripture as familiar as what I'm about to share. For, for most people that have really read through you know, the Gospels and, 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 and through the New Testament, Romans is, is a very, very popular book. It's a very well-known book. But Lord, I pray that we'll see things that we've never seen before this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so anoint me, fill me, Lord, right now, and you communicate what you want to through this vessel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'll pick up with verse 20. And so um, Paul has just said that the Jews are lawbreakers and the Gentiles are lawless, and they're all guilty before God, and they're not saved by anything that they do. And so here he picks up, he says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight, <clears throat> for by works I'm going to read. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, this is the ESV. I wanted to use what Dennis used last week. I'll use the NIV in, in a moment. But for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law just simply shows us how sinful we are. It doesn't make us righteous. Next slide. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law through the law and the prophets. Uh, and the law and the, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Go ahead. Sorry. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wait for it and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. So it's a gift. It's a gift. And um, Dennis stressed that so well last week. And so I want to I go to verse 28 now and, and look at what Paul says as he, as he comes into this whole discussion about faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let me de define our terms this morning. I want to define two terms. Leave this, uh, go back and, and uh, go back to the, yeah. I want to define two terms. First of all, righteousness. And second of all, justi justified or justification. Righteousness literally means right in being before God. Who in and of themselves is right in being before God. Nobody. That's what Paul spends, you know, like two and a half chapters saying. Before God, we're not righteous. We're unrighteous. We're not right in being. We're not right with God. And so righteousness is ultimately being right with God. And justified <laughs> is a legal term 
That means when you stand before the, the court of heaven and you stand before the judge of God, he declares you not guilty for any sin that you've committed. That blows me away. Man, I, I am not a, you know, an axe murderer, but I've had my share of sins committed in my life. More than I'd like to think of. I know you thought I was perfect. Just talk to my wife. Just talk to my kids. Actually, don't do that. That'd be a bad idea. But my daughter-in-law thinks I'm awesome. But um, anyway, at least she thinks I'm young. Um, But justified means that God declares you righteous. He declares you not guilty. You Okay, so awesome stuff, isn't it? But the, the Jewish believers, are they're just not quite sure that this is real. Like, they're not sure this is quite right. Like, Paul, what, I mean, we've never met you. We don't know you. We've heard about you. But, you know, I mean, we grew up Jews. We know the law. We know the prophets. We've read the Bible. We know the, all the stuff about, <clears throat> you know, everything from uh, the Ten Commandments to circumcision, the whole thing. And we're not quite sure that <clears throat> you know what you're talking about. And so Paul is, he could be an incredible attorney. Because he just lays a great case before his hearers. And so he says, we maintain that a person is declared not guilty of their sins by faith apart from works of the law. You Jewish believers. Let's go to the next, next uh, verse. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is, not, there is only one God who will justify, declare not guilty, the circumcised, the Jewish people by faith, and the uncircumcised, uh, uncircumcised through the same faith. Now, here's a topic I've never wanted to talk about, and I hope I never have to talk about it again. It's the topic of circumcision. I wish we could talk about baptism instead. It's much cleaner. It involves water. But let me explain what happened. I mean, why circumcision is such a big deal? Because it's going to be mentioned about 50 times in this text. So so God came to Abraham. He initiated this. He said, Abraham, I'm going to take you. I'm going to give you a son. He didn't tell him how long it was going to take. (laughs) He's in his 70s at this point. I'm going to give you a son. That's pretty old anyway. But he said, um, through your son is going to come descendants, and you're going to have as many descendants as there are sand on the seashore and stars in the heavens. Now, Abraham could only, I mean, because there was no light pollution, he could see like gazillions of stars, but he couldn't see them all. And, um, of course, how could you count the sand on the seashore? But he says, so shall your descendants be. And he says, through you and through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it says that Abraham believed God, and it was, it was credited to him as righteousness. We're going to see that again several times here. But here's the point. Later on, he says, okay, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And Dennis talked about that. I'm not going to go into all the details of a covenant. 
but you know, you cut the animal this way, not, not this way, and you lay the bloody halves open. And the way you cut a covenant was that the two people that were making covenant together, they linked arms and they walked in a figure eight between the bloody halves of the animal. And they said, may God do to me what we did to this animal if I break this covenant. Did you know that Abraham was not inside of that figure eight? It said that a, a flaming torch and a burning uh, furnace moved between the, as, as Abraham was outside of that watching. He was, God was making an eternal covenant. The, the figure eight represented eternity or infinity. He was making an eternal covenant with Abraham. <clears throat> and then later on, uh, part of the, uh, so, so this is a part of a, su- su- what they called a suzerainty covenant. And there were many parts to it. And Abraham eventually experienced all those parts of the covenant, except he wasn't on the inside. of God made a covenant with himself to bless Abraham. God made a covenant with himself in the new covenant to make you righteous. You had nothing to do with that. God the Father and God the Son worked this out and made the covenant between them. And Jesus was our representative in that covenant. So you're included in Christ in a covenant between the Father and the Son. And you just get to be a beneficiary of it. One of the things that happened in the suzerainty covenant is that you exchanged names like you took part of each other's names. Abram went from Abram to Abraham. The H was the, the primary letter in Yahweh. You understand what I'm saying? So he became Abraham, not Abram. So he took the H out of God's name. I mean, God gave that to him. He, God changed his name. We're now, we're now exchanging names. And he was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a covenant God. The other thing that you did was it was kind of like the blood brother thing where you had this, this uh, uh, you know, mark in the flesh. You cut yourselves and you, you did this so that, you know, that's where we get this whole blood, you know, blood brothers thing. That was part of a covenant. Well, Jesus was going to have the marks in his flesh ultimately. But Abraham was going to have a mark in his flesh. So here's the importance of circumcision. It was the mark of the flesh, or mark in, in Abraham's flesh. And I, I, don't, I don't want to get too graphic here, but every time Abraham went to the bathroom, he was reminded of his covenant with his, with his God. And all his descendants would come through the ring of circumcision. And so they were God's chosen people. And so the Jews knew themselves as the circumcised, even, you know, Paul called them that, the circumcised, and the non-circumcised. You remember when David went up against Goliath and he said, you know, uh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that mocks the armies of the living God? You know, that was the mark that he's not one of us. He's not one of God's chosen people. God's blessing is not on him. We are the circumcised. We are the Jews. And every male child uh, from Abraham's family on as a Jew was circumcised. And finally, the last thing I'll say about that is that it was the first of the law. It was the first law in being a Jew. Very first law. So the Jews were the they were the law bearers. They were the ones that received the law from God. But this circumcision thing was the first of the law. And so 
Paul needs to talk about this with these Jewish believers. And he says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed something that God said. He believed a promise that God made and God said, okay, I'm declaring you righteous right now based on your faith in me and my promise, based on your faith in who I am as your God. That's the relationship that we're gonna have. You believe me, I bless you. You believe me, I I make you righteous. I declare you righteous. That's awesome. So what does the scripture say? So if, if Abraham, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But, but what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one, listen to this, this is so important. To the one who works, by the way, this chapter four of Romans is my second favorite chapter in all the New Testament. My, my first favorite is Romans eight, which we're gonna get to. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as Payment is an obligation. If you work for me, I have to pay you, right? You work, I pay. I work, you pay. You know, that's how it works. No, no pun intended. However, listen to this, however, to the one who does not work but trusts in, trust in God, this is mind-blowing, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. Do, do you see what this is saying here? To the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. How can we have a God who is good, who is holy, who is righteous himself, who justifies the ungodly? How in the world can that happen? Why would you even do that, God? Why would you justify the ungodly? Brennan Manning, I... Some of you know him. He wrote um, some great books. Um, he wrote a book. Uh, he, he was an alcoholic, and he was a, he was a, he really struggled with alcoholism his entire life. And but yet he was he was seriously a follower of Jesus, and he would relapse and he would become super angry with himself. And one time he took a retreat and he was in this cave. And he was meditating on the cross and on what Jesus had. Brandon Manning, he was meditating on what Jesus had done for him. And as he, as he was meditating on the cross and seeing Jesus hanging there, dying for all the, the times that he had relapsed and, and just uh, hurt people and hurt his family and, and, and done bad things, and, and he saw Jesus hanging there, dying for him, he suddenly just yelled at, at Jesus on the cross, You're You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy for dying for someone like me. Why would you do that? You've got to be insane for dying for someone like me. And Jesus just smiled at him. (laughs) David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now this is, I can cry when I read this. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Now listen to this. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. 
Blessed is the one who sin God will never count against her. Never. Never to come up again. Never to be mentioned again. Never to be thought of again by our God. A God who cannot remember, I mean, God who, who, who knows everything can't remember your sin. That's, that's mind-blowing. The God who knows all things. In Hebrews chapter 10, right after it says <laughs> that, by, that by one sac- sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. He says, and your sins and your lawless deeds he will remember no more. Your sins and your lawless deeds, my sins and my lawless deeds, he will remember no more. It's incredible. So he says, is this blessedness for only for the circumcised or also for the Gentiles that are uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances did that happen? Was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? He says it was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign and a seal of the righteousness that, had, uh, by, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This happened before the law was given. His righteousness was credited to him simply because he believed God. And it's credited to us simply because we believe God, that we believe Jesus died for us. So then, he is the father of us all, who who are all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might, might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of that of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes through faith. The great reformer Martin Luther wrote in the side of his margin of his Bible when he discovered this truth and the revelation hit him heart, uh, hit his heart. Faith alone. He had tried every good work, every Catholic ritual. He tried fasting. He tried beating himself with Cat of nine tail. He, he, he tried everything he could. He crawled on his knees uh, up the steps of the, wherever it was in Rome, there he went to do a pilgrimage, a homage, whatever you want to call it, and, and none of that stuff worked. He confessed his sins over and over and over and over again to his father confessor to the point this dude said, look, man, you confessed every sin that you've committed 50 times. When are you going to receive the, 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 the forgiveness that, that comes you know, I mean, when are you going to receive forgiveness? When are you going to stop doing this? I've already absolved you a hundred times. He said, I can't clear my conscience. And then he read Romans. He read the gospel in Romans, and he saw this. A righteousness that comes by faith. And he wrote in the margin, by faith alone, faith alone. And he believed, and it set him free. His conscience was clear. For those who depend on the law... 
if, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. <laughs> because the law brings wrath. Ooh. <laughs> and where there is no law, there is no transgression. I don't even go into that right now. But therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may, by, may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story, and then I'm going to close out with, with the end of Romans 4, um, 4 here. I'm going to tell you a story. The great Dwight L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists in history, in, 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 at least in our history of the United States, during the Second Great Awakening, was in Chicago. He was from Chicago, and he traveled the, you know, the, the country, and he traveled in Europe, and he spoke. And everywhere he went, you know, he had this breakthrough in the Spirit, and everywhere he went, people would come to Christ, I mean, in droves. And so he was at this particular church, and it was the second night he was there, and he's, he, he was going up the steps to, to, uh, to preach, and the elders were waiting at the top of the steps at this church, uh, the entrance of the church, to, to usher him in and get him seated. And a man stepped between him and the ushers and said, uh, Dr. Moody, could I talk to you after the service? And he said, certainly. And he said, just meet me here after the service. And so the elders heard this, and uh, uh, they, they took him in and seated him, and, and, and they, one of the elders knelt, or sat down by him and said, Dr. Moody, please do not spend any time with this. Don't go with this man. Don't talk to this man. He is a gangster. He's a criminal. He's one of the worst people in the community, and I fear for your life. Don't, don't, don't you know, just leave him alone. Just, just, and Dr. Moody, Dwight, Dwight L. Moody said, I gave him my word, I'm going to meet with him. And he couldn't be dissuaded. So after the service, he, he met him on the steps, and he said, so what, what did you want to talk about? He said, follow me. And so they went down the steps, and they went down several blocks in Chicago. They went down an alley, and about halfway down the alley, the man uh, took a padlock off a door, and they went in, and he locked the door behind them. And he, there was an office there, and, they, and it was just a you know, rough-cut office, and he offered Dr. Moody a seat, and, and uh, he sat down behind his desk. And he said, you made a statement last night, and i got to know if it's true. Dr. Moody said, okay. He said, you said that the blood of Jesus could cleanse a man from all sin. He said, is that right? Do you believe that? All sin? He said, the blood of Jesus can cleanse a man from all sin. He said, well... I have to tell you something. He said, on the other side of this wall right here is a gambling casino and a bar. And I have fixed every one of those machines so it's impossible to win on my machines. He said, I've taken people's homes from them because they had a gambling addiction. I, I have gotten so much money and I have ripped so many people off and some people have gone literally bankrupt because of me. And there have been women that have come in my bar and begged me not to serve their husband's alcohol because they come home and they beat them and they, they mistreat the kids and you know, all kinds of havoc uh, breaks out. And, and he said, I've had those women thrown out on the street by my bouncers. He said, do you think Jesus could forgive a man like that? And he said, 
my Jesus, the blood of my Jesus can cleanse a man from all sin. He said, uh, I mean, he pulled the drawer open and he pulled out a revolver and laid it on the top of the desk. He said, I've never actually killed anyone with that gun personally. But I've had my goons take out a number of people at my command. And so I'm as guilty as they are of murder with that gun. He said, do you think the blood of Jesus could cleanse a man from that? Dwight L. Moody said, the blood of my Jesus can cleanse a man from all sin, even that. He said, one more thing. He said, across the street, there's a brown house, brown brick house. And he said, my wife and daughter live there. And he said, since I married her 20 years ago, I have never had, I've never spoken a kind word to her. She waits on me hand and foot. I've taken advantage of her. I've abused her. I've mistreated her. And he said, I have a 12-year-old daughter. And about four years ago, I was leaving to come over here to work. And she didn't want me to go. And she got in my way. And I shoved her out of the way. And she, she has a scar on her face for where her face hit the pot-bellied stove as she fell. And I came over here to, to do my job. And I didn't even care. He said, do you think that, do you think that a, a man that would do something like that could be forgiven? And Moody had had enough. He stood up and he leaned over that man's desk and he put his finger in his face. And he said, if it was up to me, I would kill you and send you to hell right now. He said, you don't even deserve to draw another breath. But I know for certain that the blood of Jesus can cleanse a man from even that. He said, thanks a lot. That's all I needed to know. I'll show you out. He unlocked the door, sent him on his way. He locked the door. He came back in. He took an ax. He went into the, the casino. He busted up every one of those gambling machines. He destroyed every bottle of alcohol. And sometime early that morning, he made his way across the street, up the stairs, and to his room, and he began to change clothes. He heard a knock at the door, and his little daughter said, Dad, Mom said it's time for breakfast. And he said, Sweetheart, tell your mom that I'm not hungry this morning. I don't, I don't plan to have breakfast, but thank you. And so she went downstairs, and she said, Mom, something's wrong with Dad. Because, first of all, he's not hungry, and he's always hungry. And second of all, he called me sweetheart. And so he heard another knock at the door. And he said, Come in. And his wife and daughter stepped inside the door, and he's sitting on the bed, and he's dressed for church. And he said, I have mistreated the two of you. I have been horrible to you. I've been a horrible father, a horrible, horrible husband, and a horrible man. But I found out last night that the blood of Jesus could cleanse a man from all sin. And he said, I know that Jesus has forgiven me. I know that God's forgiven me. I just need to know right now if you can forgive me. And they rushed over to the bed and they hugged and they cried. And that morning... For the first time in their lives, they went to church together. And the story goes that he became an outstanding, not only member of that church, but a member of the community. Because he discovered the truth that righteousness comes through faith in Christ. And that the blood of Jesus can cleanse a man from all sin. I think we should live like that. I think that the knowledge that 
our sins will never be counted against us. That we walk free based on the blood of Jesus should change our lives forever. And that we should live like that man. Abandoning those things, those sins and those things that, that hinder us from running the race marked out before us. And, and just living in the, in the knowledge that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not based on anything that we do or don't do. Simply based on the fact that we trust and believe that Jesus died for us and has cleansed us from all sin. And we are made righteous by his blood. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.